If you've been at Calvary during the summer, if you're a regular attender or a member here, you know we are uh, in the midst of, actually we're going to wrap up today a series called Summer 7 Series. And it's just been a convenient time uh, and season for us to be able to look at several different topics and to kind of arrange and group those together uh, that we wanted to talk about for the summer and some of the issues that seem to come up that um, affect us spiritually uh, during, during that time, which is probably my favorite time of the year, but I love fall too. Uh, and hopefully that's also been a time to kind of prepare you for the fall and get you to thinking about some of the things that are coming up. Now this series really bookends with passages on fear because here, here's what I think, that if you're able to remove worry, to take that out of the equation and to begin to live more fearlessly, then there's no stopping what you're going to be able to achieve. That's why I think that is the number one emotion that the enemy uses to try to discourage you, to distract us, to pull us off task, uh, to, to open up the door for depression and some of these other things. Because he knows for you to have a successful, beautiful, powerful life, fear's got to be moved out of the picture. So we're going to wrap up in a similar way that we began in talking uh, just about that because many of you have already transitioned and some of you have moved from uh, maybe from elementary into middle school or from middle school to high school or high school to college or from college into uh, like jumping off a cliff into the world and uh, a student was telling me the other day, they said, I got a new job. And they said, but the crazy thing is, they're going to give me like two weeks off during the year. And I said, yeah. <laughs> and they said, well, I'm used to a lot more. I said, I know, but there's going to be other things that are going to, you know, kind of get your attention as well. But I know at every stage, at every season and phase of life, there's something with it that's a little fearful. Uh, if you're about to get married or if you're about to have a child or maybe you've gone through a breakup or something like that, there, fear is part of that. So we are going to counter and to see how God wants to come against it uh, with his word. And chapter 4 of Mark uh, opens with a series of parables, which was one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching. And he said this in, in one of those uh places there within that, uh, after he's telling all of this, he's talking to the disciples, and Jesus explains the purpose of parables, because that was his style, and it was so beautiful that he could always give these word pictures. The, uh, Jesus did that often. The only person I know who uses more parables than Jesus was probably Joe Drummer. Um, he, you know, he, he's, he's, he's the analogy king and word picture guy. So, Jesus is asking, telling the disciples, here's why I do that. And in verse 11 and 12, he said, To you is given the mystery of the kingdom of God. I just, I just speak it plainly to you guys. You're, you're my inner circle. But to those who are on the outside, and that's bold in my notes. I just put an underline. To you, you, know, you get the kingdom of God. And I'm just kind of telling you the inside deal. But to people on the outside, they're going like, we don't understand. We're not exactly sure what you're talking about. He said, so for those on the outside, all things are done in parables. I give word pictures. 
Now, this seems kind of ironic when we look at this event, this historical event, the story of the storm and the sea that we're going to talk about today because it's inferred here that the disciples are the insiders. And these other people kind of go on the fringe or they're curious about Jesus. They're the outsiders. So you got insiders and outsiders. For a long time in my life, I was an outsider. And, and now I'm like, I'm on the inside. and I can't. But you know what? The disciples didn't get it. The disciples really don't get it. They don't understand Jesus and, and everything that he's teaching until after the resurrection. And even then, if you go back and read through the Gospels and see when this awakening begins to occur in their life and this, oh, now we understand. It seems like that happens from the very last verse after the resurrection in the Gospels. They're unbelieving until the very end. Now, there's a scripture uh, that we're going to focus on today, and it's one that's probably familiar to a lot of you, even if you're not a regular church kind of person uh, or had read, you know, maybe read the Bible a lot. You may be familiar with this story because it's kind of famous. It's in Mark chapter 4 and in verse 35 and and we're going to go forward from there. But this whole little section in the Gospel of Mark, from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 8, about verse 26, recounts uh, this series of miracles. Jesus uses these miracles. He blesses and heals people and does these extraordinary things. But it also draws attention to his power and to his, his love for people. Uh, Jesus stills the storm. He heals the Gerizine uh, demoniac. He restores a girl to life. He heals a woman who's been hemorrhaging for a long time. He feeds 5,000 people. He walks on water. He heals the sick. Uh, he, exercise, he exercises. He, what you, is that the word? Maybe that is, I'm saying it right. He didn't like exercise, but he gets rid of a demon uh, from this Syrophoenician woman's daughter. He cures a deaf man. He feeds 4,000. Uh, he cures a blind man at Bethsaida. I mean, he's just, he's just doing all these things. And then we come to this place. In, so everybody's kind of getting that Jesus is somebody very, very, very different that's arrived on the scene. And he has this, his teaching is different, but the things he can do are incredible. So in Mark chapter Four, verse 35, um, and up until that eighth chapter, really, it includes four crossings of the Red Sea. And you see Jesus and his friends making this trip back and forth across the sea because on one side were where the Gentiles lived, and on the other side of the sea uh, are where uh, the, the Jewish people lived. But Jesus is called to love and to care for all people. So he goes back and forth and he makes that, that trip. And in, there's one verse today in the passage we're going to look at. It says, when Jesus and his friends, they sailed out on this little boat and other boats were with him. And I think, I overlooked that. And I, I, looked, at, I looked back at that this past week and I thought, what other little boats who were on those boats? You know, and that maybe was their claim to fame. Years and years later, there's a guy named Ricky, you know, and he says, yeah, I was on one of those other boats. I saw the whole thing, you know, and we don't even know. Um, so I don't know why that's significant. I just throw it out to you because my mind works that way, and I'm curious about stuff like that. So th there's these crossings back and forth between the Western Jewish side and the Eastern Gentile side because 
Jesus cares about you, no matter what side you live on. If you're from North America or South America, if you're from Eastern Europe or Western Europe, if you're from Asia, if you're from anywhere, he cares about you. Even within a town, I was raised on the wrong side of the tracks. And you know, and I've talked about that so many times. Uh, I was raised in kind of a rough part of town, uh, and I had friends who were raised on a really nice side of the town. You know, we were, we were the same in a lot of ways. We had the same needs, same fears and hurts and things that would bless us. Jesus cares about everybody, and he cares about you. He cares about you. Well, in Mark 4, 35, it, there's, these, there's these three boat stories, okay? There's, there's these things about boats. I've just been fascinated all weekend with boats, and sometimes when I'm researching or I'm starting to study, and I think, what kind of boats? What do the boats look like? What about that boat? What about this boat? And so I just went down this rabbit hole of boats. So I know all about first century New Testament boats. I'm your guy, uh, which is absolutely useless, but... That's what I did. I just looked at these boat stories. And one of the things that I noted is that in every one of those, the disciples, they don't look so good. They're always cast in this negative light. You think, you're the insiders. You're the ones who are supposed to get it. You're, you're in. You, you. But, but it's like they never step up and live out their faith. And they know these things. And... They have more exposure to Jesus on a consistent basis than anybody. And you think, well, I, I kind of am curious about this, or how does that work with Jesus? Oh, let's go ask one of his guys, because, you know, they're with him all the time. Uh, they will probably know the answer. But they would scratch their head and go, well, we really kind of don't know. I don't want to live a life like that. I don't want to just come to church and read scripture and even be in ministry and do all of that but then not know the heart of Jesus and not know him. If that's what it's about, I mean, we've just become a religious club. You know, we just become this another place along Kingston Pike here, and we've got something we do that, you know, we kind of bring to the table in our community. Now, I want to have a passionate, intimate knowledge of him, and, and I want to live this, and I want to know this, and I want that for you too. Well, let's read what happened next. Uh, there's this first section that I just kind of put a heading, let's go to the other side. Let's go over to that other side. Verse 35, it says this, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the multitude, they took him with them, even as he was in the other boat. And other small boats were also with him. I have no idea about that. So that's kind of what happened. In verse 35, it says, let's go over to the other side. Remember, the other side is the Gentile side. Verse 36 says, leaving the multitude. All these people, and it's like, here's everybody's here. Well, I got to go. You know, it's so easy to be captured by uh, popularity, and that's going to be really important for a lot of you. I know whether it's, especially I think the pressure is, is, is on you guys, and maybe you guys a little bit. There's kind of a transition, and I just give you a heads up, looking ahead. If you decide to go to college one day, it's not so important anymore, right? I mean, you know, you remember in high school when you, ah, I want to be this, I want to get noted for that, and then you get to somewhere like it's a small city, the University of Tennessee, or wherever it is you end up going, and there's not like a, the 
you know, here's the A-list popular group, here's the B, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't care, I got my own friends, and you just get freed up, and you don't have to chase that so much anymore. But a lot of us, even as adults, yeah, sure, we want to be liked, right? You want to have friends, you want to be popular with your peers, you want to be significant, you want to know, my life matters, and I count, and, and but at what point are you willing to step away from that when you need to? Because you know what? It's difficult to walk away from a favorable crowd of people around us, right? Jesus, however, was so freed up that he could walk away from a crowd of people who were interested in him and, and found him. You know, he was the guy everybody wanted to talk to and to be around and be seen with. and. You know, and he's got all these people all around him. So he said, you know what, I got other things I got to do. And I'm willing to step away from that and to step into another environment uh, to be a blessing to the Lord. We need to learn from Jesus. Some of you need to learn that it's okay to step away from your table and eat with other people or in your neighborhood to invite somebody over that's not exactly like you. Because most of us surround ourselves with people who look exactly like ourselves. Jesus, it's just so beautiful how he stepped out of that. So although we love our own crowds, especially the folks we know and that we're comfortable with, Jesus, and I, and I love this about him, is that he would love a guy like me, and he would love somebody like you. Verse 36 says, they took him, even as he was, in the boat. I mean, he's worn out, he's exhausted, he's been so busy, and he gets in this boat. Now, I told you a minute ago, I'm really interested in boats. So, here's the thing about Jesus' boat. In 1986, the hull of a fishing boat was excavated from the shore of Galilee. Um, and they did this carbon dating and, you know, and, and all these tests on it, and it, and it showed that it was from Jesus' time. And they thought, oh, we've got a boat like these boats. We don't have to just rely on pictures or imagination or kind of what we think. They were able to get a really good idea of, of what this boat looked like. And I don't know if that's if you can see that, but that's, that's one uh, of those images. And, and, and they said, wow, well, almost a complete boat. And it really matched what they already uh, thought about that. But the boat is... 26.9 feet long. If you want to jot this down, it may come in handy later on Jeopardy. Uh, it's seven and a half feet wide. It's 3.9 feet high. It has a deck and the fore and the aft, and it would have held probably up to about 15 people. And those of you who have a bass boat or a ski boat, you know, it always says, you know, hold 15 people, and you think, yeah, but we're not going anywhere because you're just kind of like in there like that. Well, this would hold that many and it would be okay on most days, you know, for being able to get a, a, across a place, four people rowing. and um, So it is in a boat like that and we'll give you another idea that because from this and from uh, other sources, they were able to construct this model and say, this is pretty much, you know, the, um, the Malibu, the Mastercraft, you know, sea ray boat of the of the day back in Jesus' time. So th there's his his boat, and it was very much like that that he and the disciples would cross the Sea of Galilee, and that that he would take a rest uh, 
some, get some shelter under the stern of the deck. One, you know, one of the versions says that there were actually cushions under there. So Jesus gets in there and he goes, ah, this is like a really cozy place. Man, I'm so tired. I'm just going to take a little nap. So he does that. Mark 4, verse 37. And this is a section that's typified by this question. Teacher, don't you care? Do you even care that we're dying? Of course he cares. Verse 37, a big windstorm, um, and in the Greek that means a big windstorm, arose and the waves beat into the boat so much the boat was getting filled up. Some of you have been in a situation like this? You ever been in, in, a, in a crisis where water's coming in? Uh, he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and told him, Teacher, don't you care? We're dying. Jesus wakes up. Would you just like to see that moment? I mean, this is like, this is why I know, I just love things that scripture puts in and details that are relevant, uh, that if this were a movie or, you know, a novel, you wouldn't show Jesus going, what, what, man, what, what, are we already, you know, he's just like sleepy and he wakes up and, and, and um, he awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace, be still. The wind ceased, and there was great calm. So you got this great storm, and then you got great calm. Now, the Sea of Galilee is the deepest part of the Northern Jordan Rift. It's about 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by these steep cliffs and mountains, except in just the real southern part. So what you've got here, and this is fascinating, right? You're on the edge of your seat. Hot air rises, cool air falls. Uh, the cool air from the higher elevations comes in. The warm air is sort of competing. It wants to swap places with that. And what happens is that it creates these strong winds and these waves that can top 30 feet. And it can happen real quickly, real suddenly. You know, yesterday I'm thinking, and Friday I'm thinking, I need to mow my yard. And I'm like, it's sunny. Oh, no, it's raining, you know. And I would go back in. And it would get sunny again, and i think, Oh, good, and then it's rain. I mean, it's like East Tennessee right now in this season, right? Okay, so you kind of get the idea about the weather. It just, it just hits, except this is, is really harsh. This is really kind of bigger than just, just rain. At least four, maybe up to seven of Jesus' disciples are fishermen. They've been doing this since they were babies. They have already survived storms on the sea. They've been out there, and, and, and they've even probably had friends who were lost at sea. These are strong, masculine, reliant, experienced veterans. These, these men are fishermen. It takes a lot to shake them up, but on this night, they're scared to death. They are frightened of this storm. Did you ever see a movie several years ago called The Perfect Storm? Anybody see that? It's from a novel, a uh, book by Sebastian Junger, and it's, uh, it was made into this movie. And it really helps us to appreciate the danger of being in a small boat on a storm. And if I remember the movie poster correctly, it shows this, this fishing boat like going up this wall of a wave like that. And, you know, it just, it just evokes this emotion. You're thinking, oh, my goodness, I didn't know it was that big. Several years ago, uh, my family and I, we would go to Panama City Beach for vacation, and we liked it down there. 
and because I did some speaking at a retreat center there and took some youth groups, there was a lady that let us use one of the houses uh, that we as Southern Baptists kind of own. You know, there was part of this camp down there, and she let us use this little house, and we'd stay there, and it was a lot of fun. One of the things we would do one day every year is that we would rent a pontoon boat, and we would go out uh, into the kind of the safer area of the bay there, and they had these, these uh, where the land comes out, and it's called jetties, and, and you could go out into that, and back in those days, it was okay to buy these little silverfish, I don't know what they're really called, bulletfish, or I don't know what they're called, but you could feed the dolphins, and you could get out with them, it was just so cool. They've stopped doing that now because propellers from all these boats cut, cut these things up, so the, and, and I get that, that's probably not a good idea, but back then you could do that. So we do that, and I'm feeling like a sailor, you know, I'm feeling really confident, thinking, this is so cool, and I'm out here with my family, and you know, I'm on this boat, which is like a ship to me, and I'm the captain, and so we, we do something that was a little foolish, and this is where I start speaking in the plural, we, we did this, as captain and my first mate, we, um, we leave the jetties and go out into the ocean. And when we do that, you're not protected anymore. And as we do that, and there's dolphins, we're just having a beautiful day. Well, we notice the boats start going way up and way down, and the, and the front dips in, under, and, the, uh, and the water comes all the way up. And the kids, I'm still going, ha, ha, ha everything's fine. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and strap the children to the sides of the boat, you know, because it's really getting dangerous. And Kathy's like, are we okay? I'm like, yeah, are you kidding me? Of course we're okay. I'm thinking, I got to get out of here. I got to get back. But I'm a guy, so I don't want to admit everything's not okay. So I'm being real cool about it. But, I, you know, we start getting back, but we are being tossed. And no kidding, it's one of the first times that I've ever been in a situation where our boat, this pontoon boat, would go down when the, you know, when, and that's the bottom of the wave, and all you could see around you is water. And my children are holding one another, and my wife is crossing, or so, you know, and, and the coolers are sliding off into the ocean, and, you know, and everything is happening, and I'm just like, oh, Lord, you've got to get us back to a place of safety, and it just happened so quickly. And I'd been around boats my whole life. I grew up with boats, fishing boats and ski boats and pontoon boats. And, but I was in over my head. <laughs> I've been waiting all day to say that. Okay, when we got back to safety. Obviously, we're here. But I, I realized then and just kind of gave me a sense of just a little fraction of, oh, my goodness, this can happen so quickly. There comes a point when physics just takes over. If a boat heads into a wave that's higher than the boat is long, it will get pitch-poled, and, and it'll go end-to-end end and, and to, its, to its doom. Some of you went tubing last week. You know what, that, that, what happens. Or if a wave is higher than the boat is wide and it gets hit from the side, it's going to capsize. Jesus' disciples wouldn't have understood anything about physics, but they would be very familiar with what happens on a wave like that. In verse 38, it says, he himself is in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Sleeping through danger, I think, could be kind of cool. That could be a sign of great faith. Yeah, you say, you know what, but I really trust the Lord, so I'm just going to go to sleep. The psalmist said this in Psalm 4a, In peace I will both lay, down, lay myself down and sleep, for you, Yahweh, alone, makes me to live in safety. I want you to know whatever danger you're facing, 
Whatever's in front of you, you can rest. He's going to be up. And he's got this. And he's never failed you. And he won't. So tonight, go home. Go to bed. And sleep. Sleep can also represent an inaction in a moment that cries out for an active response. You know, they're thinking, Jesus, okay, we get that you really relax in the Lord, but we're about to be, we're going to be swept off this boat and, you know, you're sleeping. Do you, do you kind of, do you understand the, the seriousness of what's going on? And the disciples interpret Jesus' sleep as evidence that he doesn't really care that enough to save them or even himself from this impending, you know, what's about to happen here out in the middle of this sea. In verse 38, they say, teacher. And I would think that in a moment like this, the disciples wouldn't be thinking of Jesus as teacher. Jesus, we'd love for you to tell us some more of those stories, those parables. We like those. This would be a good moment. I think, you know, they said, teacher, teacher. I would be saying, Lord Jesus, king of the oceans, you know, it's time to stop teaching Stop talking and do it. Do something. They had noticed this one thing about Jesus' teaching. Do you remember earlier in the very first chapter it said, but when Jesus did teach, he taught as one having what? Authority. Jesus didn't teach like the other people where they're just parroting information and they're just repeating what they had been taught. No, Jesus somehow brought something different to those moments when when he taught, it's like it was fresh and brand new and powerful. Like, where does he get this? He speaks with authority. They've been noticing that about Jesus since he was about 12 years old. It's not like the other teachers. It even amazed people in Capernaum uh, when they said, what is this, a new teaching? For with authority, he commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. We've never seen anybody like this who seems to have something that nobody else has. But here they're panicking. So in verse 38, they say, don't you care that we're dying? And I've tried to figure out what would be the tone. How did they say that? Don't you care that we're dying? I'm sure it was like at the top of their voice. And, you know, and it, how you really feel comes out in crisis sometimes. And here's Jesus, whom they've known, and they know all about, and they get the authority, and they all of this. But at this moment, and some of us are like that, right? It's easy to sit in here in this building and in this moment and say, yeah, I trust Jesus, and I love Jesus, and, and to sing songs saying, I'll go with you wherever you go, I'll follow. And, but in those moments when we're scared and we're hurt and we're tired, we don't know what's going to happen with this. It's easy to cry out like this. Don't you care? You ever prayed a prayer like that? Maybe when you've lost someone or you've had an illness or things didn't go your way. Maybe somebody broke up with you or may, and you just, and you just looked up and said, don't, don't you even care? Don't you even say to me, I've, I've taught classes and I went on that mission trip and I've done all these things. And is this how you treat me now? You get the idea. That's sort of where the disciples were. They panic and they want Jesus, their leader. Show a little concern. Show a little sense of urgency. Show a solution. Do something. <clears throat> Do something. 
Jesus has this casual attitude in this urgent crisis. Not even awake. I have, like those early disciples, I have prayed some panicked prayers to God because it just feels like he's abandoned me or because I was so desperate. Haven't you? Haven't you made bargains with the Lord? Lord, if you help me pass this test, I will go anywhere for you. I will do. You know, and we start making deals, and he's like, you know what? What do you got? I don't, because we're just scared. Lord, I, won't, I will never ask you for another thing. If you just give me this one thing, and I'm so glad God has not answered that so often. Because he knows our needs, and he loves us enough. He sent his own son for us. When your life is difficult, and it will be, we need to ensure that our faith can prevail over our fears. Because your emotions, your response, is going to go one of those two directions, maybe a little mixed. Well, in verse 39, fortunately, it says, he awoke and rebuked the wind. Peace, be still. And I don't think he shouted it. You know, like in the movies where he's sort of this heroic figure and it's this drama and the boom, boom, dum, 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 dum. Peace, be still. I just think Jesus, he's just got this. He's just so cool. Peace, be still. Like he's just annoyed with the ways. Be still. Earlier, Jesus had rebuked a demon, ordering it to be silent and to come out of this man who was afflicted with this demonism. Jesus has authority over both the physical world and the spiritual world. Nobody's ever had that before. So his calm voice, he just commands. That reflects his authority. He didn't have to shout. He didn't have to threaten and bluster. And He just said the words. And then the most amazing thing in verse 39, it says, Then the, weast, the, the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. The great storm of verse 37 is replaced by a great calm. I'm so glad the author put that in. He put that adjective in. That as bad as your situation is, as tough as things seem, there will come a time when it's just the other way. And as broken as your heart gets, there will be a time when it will be so blessed. Jesus' words, peace, be still, have this godlike quality in them that the Hebrew scriptures typically only portray as the Lord exercising power over waters. In the Exodus story, God rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. Do you remember that? And in the Psalms, God is portrayed as silencing in Psalm 65, the roaring of the sea. In Psalm 107, the pride of the sea. In Psalm 89, and the waves would be still before the voice of the Lord. Now, the disciples have been reading these scriptures their whole lives. I mean, if they had something equivalent to vacation Bible school... We still have one reminder of Vacation Bible School here in the auditorium. Just to let you know, summer's not completely gone, and now you're going to be looking at that every week to see when that comes down. You know, they knew these scriptures. 
they probably had something where they memorized them and they did this. And I mean, everybody's familiar with it. So it's not like this is new information. They understood that God had this authority. But there's a big difference in reading the Bible since you were children, and many of you have, and seeing God when you need to see him move and work and rescue you during your storms. I have seen people grow up in a Christian home and surrounded by a church and and in children's ministries and youth groups and they get to adulthood and God disappoints them or life hits them and just a big old wave of reality smacks them and they say, well, if that's the way the Lord's going to do, then I'm just walking away from it. I was talking to a guy, and he was praying and praying and praying for somebody to be healed, and they died. And he said, well, if that's the way God does, I'm just going to, I'm not going to do that. And I think, you have known these scriptures, and you've known that, and you have seen so many people around you. And you heard on the news, all these people die every day. But because it's somebody in your life, because it's somebody you know, oh, well, then I'm just not, I'm, you know, because it's all about me. Well, Lord, how dare you? not answer my prayer the way that I want it to, then I'm not going to live for you. Listen, it's not enough just to read the Bible. You've got to faith him. You've got to lean into what you know. Those scriptures that you memorized and those things that are in your heart, let that become part of the fabric of your life. Mark 4, verse 40. Who is this? He said to them, why are you so afraid? How is it that you have no faith? They were greatly afraid. There's that word great again. Literally, it's, 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 it's phob and megan, you know, phobic. We get our word phobias from this. And megan, we get our word mega, you know, something big. It's a big fear. They have this big fear. And they said to one another, who then is this? And you see him, who is, who is this guy that's with us in this boat? Even the wind and the sea are obeying him. Why are you so afraid? The disciples miserably fail the faith test. They make an F. They're afraid of the storm. Oh, no, what about the storm? Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? Don't you even care about us? And, we're about... and then when Jesus wakes up and he does this and he, and he just resolves everything about the situation, now they're scared of Jesus. <laughs> they should believe. If anybody should, they've heard Jesus teach. They've seen him work all these miracles. But they allow their fears to overwhelm their faith. Verse 41, they're greatly afraid. I would think if this happened, I would go, oh, you know, I mean, you would just be rejoicing. You would be so happy. You would just be dancing in the boat. You would just think you'd be hugging each other. Not these guys. Instead of being just overwhelmed with relief, they're afraid. They're still scared. They're afraid as afraid of of Jesus' godly power as they are afraid of the storm. And some of us are so afraid. You're so afraid that if you unleash God's power in your life, that if you allow him to have his lordship, what's he going to do? 
he's going to mess everything up, or he's not going to let me do this, or that's going to change, or whatever. And I think, are you seriously, he has loved you. He has loved you with this incredible love. Don't be afraid of just giving your life to him. And they asked this question, and it's a really good question. Who then is this? I mean, we kind of thought we knew who he was, but who is this? Wind and waves are obeying this guy. And I think it's in that one little question that we see the key to this story because we're getting a glimpse of who Jesus really is. This is an epiphany story. This story is one of the stories that's working in sync to pull the covers off. It's beginning to be revealed that Jesus is God in a body. His identity will gradually become more and more clear more and more blatant who he is all the way up until that eighth chapter when Peter in verse 29 confesses thou art the Christ but later if you remember especially the night of Jesus arrest Peter forgets that his vision gets dim and the disciples will continue to fear do you remember even as events unfold exactly as Jesus said they would unfold and all of his prophecies begin to tumble into place one after the other? Instead of the disciples saying, oh my goodness, it's happening. This is real. It's really taking place. They're scared again. They run. They hide. They pull back. Because they're still not getting it. But at the cross, there was this Roman centurion who's overseeing the crucifixion. He's a Gentile. Maybe he was one of those on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He's an outsider. But when he sees Jesus crucified, and he had seen probably hundreds of of criminals die in that way. There was something so unique and so powerful and engaging and different that he sees in Jesus. It causes him to say, truly, this man is God's son. You know, Jesus isn't the only thing in this story that should take away your worry. In the moment after he calms the storm, Jesus asked the disciples, hey, guys, why didn't you trust me to take care of you? You know me. You're one of the insiders. You know, I'm always going to love you. And I promised I would never leave you, that I would never forsake you. I promise. Jesus loves us enough to take care of us. And he will use his extraordinary power 
for you in your life. I don't know what's coming up for you. I don't know what this semester is going to be about. I don't know what this season is going to be about. I don't know how the Vols are going to do. <laughs> but I know this. Jesus is here and he's with you. So, what are you afraid of? If God be for us, who can be against us? What are you worrying about? What fears are you carrying around inside you? Is it something about school or your job? Is it about your relationship? Is it about your finances or your friends or your future? Let Jesus calm that storm and replace your fear with faith. Let's affirm that. Let's affirm that right now. Would you stand? Let's sing. You and 